I think when you're younger, you want to identify yourself as something, you know, and I think when you're older, it's more about principles and values rather than self-identification, you know. Das ist der Telekom Electronic Beats Podcast, der Podcast rund um Nachtleben und Clubkultur. Wir sprechen mit DJs, Türstehern, Tänzern, Clubbetreibern und anderen Nachtmenschen. Mein Name ist Gesine Kühne und ich bin Jakob Töne. Herzlich willkommen beim Electronic Beats Podcast. Hi, it's me, Jacob Turner, and welcome to another episode of the Telecom Electronic Beats podcast. When I started listening to electronic music, I really enjoyed tracks by artists that had a weird, spacey vibe and vocals. Seth Troxler is the living example of this, combining the weird, arty, geeky world and the real world. But how did the boy from Detroit become one of the most iconic figures in electronic music scene? I have the pleasure to ask him that and to speak about the meaning of being a record collector, what makes a party so special and what does technology need to do to reflect the in-real-life experience of a dance floor. But before I give too much away, let's hop into the conversation with Seth Troxler. Hi Seth and welcome to the podcast. Hello, long time listener, first time caller. Uh, happy to be here. You told me you will uh, speak or you have your radio voice yeah. out there. Yeah, I have this funny, um, I, you know, my voice is actually quite nasally, but I uh, sometimes when I do radio, I'm like, hey, this is uh, Seth Troxler. How are you guys doing? Yeah. <laughs> like it's really a kind of American pseudo, uh, you know, 90s telecom voice. Actually, when I was in school, I had took some radio classes. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you have to like, do all these Kind of, I can't even remember much of it, but <laughs> <laughs> but did you do a proper radio show back then, or yeah, no, it was like a, like this class. Yeah, I didn't. It's like in school. It was an actual radio. So yeah, <laughs> it's like mock radio. But, well, nice. I mean, it yeah. uh, gave you the experience and the yeah the technique that you have your radio. No, voice I had the radio right voice. Now. Yeah, my Perfect. actually my my dad. I was a, had a radio show for a long time called Fade to Black. He still has like an internet radio show, but it used to be on the actual radio when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, that was that was a thing. <laughs> nice. He has a really good radio voice. He's he's great at communications. Maybe that's uh, where your voice comes from. Partly. No, 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 no. He's no, got like this. Not cool, there yet. He's got this cool like black guy voice, you know. But maybe it's it's still coming. <laughs> I'm like no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for my voice to drop. You know, 36. <laughs> you know, waiting for my beard and voice to you know kind of mature. <laughs> Still, until puberty kicks in. Yeah, yeah. One day, full one effect. day. You know, we can we can only dream. One day, actually, I I was talking to Matt Deer, and I was like, Matthew, how, when did your voice get so d deep? He's like, you know what, Seth, I willed it that way. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I was like, cool. All right. Nice. Yeah. Seth, a lot of people associate you with uh, a quite partying lifestyle, and uh, nowadays, or like the the last year, has been very much the opposite. How was it for you? Yeah, I'm sober <laughs> um, for some time. I'm married. I have a kid. It's kind of funny. Like the persona I think I built for myself was very much a, almost a caricature. I mean, I can be quite wild and party, but I think it was personified a bit more than yeah. the actual the character that I actually am. I'm actually, it's kind of funny. I was with uh, Tiga, you know, Tiga, yeah. DJ or whatever. From Canada, yeah. Yeah, from Canada. We're really good friends. And he was like, you know, Seth, he's like, the funniest thing is, he's like, everyone thinks you're really crazy and far out and you wear these far out clothes. He's like, but actually you're 
pretty stiff. And I was like, I'm like, yeah. He's like, he's like, it's a great, you know, illusion. But no, I, I can be really fun on occasions. But I am actually quite a serious person, and uh, you know, I mean, you've of, been straightforward a couple of times, and we're going to speak about this later as well. Yeah. But uh, yeah, how was it to settle down then? I I mean, this time off was was really incredible. I got well, made more music, I think, in the past months than I did in like 10 years, which was, <laughs> which was pretty great. Made so much music and, um, yeah, I had a family and readjusted my priorities and goals in life and, you know, really found a new inspiration to do what I do and, and why I'm doing it and what I want to do for the future. So that's really cool. Great. And you settled down uh, on Ibiza, is it right? Yeah, Ibiza. I'm here a little bit. In Berlin? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, got, we have an apartment here. I've been in Ibiza for a while, but we're uh, going to become Swiss very soon. My wife, my wife is Swiss, so oh, okay. uh, my baby is Swiss. My son is Swiss, um, so my last name is Swiss, I figure. <laughs> Troxler? <laughs> Troxler is Swiss, yeah. Really? From Bern, yeah. So it's basically Troxler. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Talk, talk <laughs> yeah, that's my name. Oh, my Swiss accent is really bad. <laughs> yeah. But um, you, you said you spent some time on Ibiza. Must be quite bizarre to be on the island when everything is is down, like no events, no partying. Yeah, how was it for you? I mean, how was I, the island? I've been living in the island for some years already. I have like an apartment there, like a flat or whatever. And I mean, Ibiza is not this crazy party place like Berlin is. Berlin, you can go out and party literally from. Monday to Monday and not have to go home in some ways or before pre-pandemic Berlin where Ibiza everything closes at five and there's really only like four or five big clubs and then there's not really anything else it's not like crazy after parties or these crazy back in the day you could do villa parties and all that stuff but all that's illegal now so It's kind of like this holiday place, you know, it's kind of turned into this holiday place that happens to have like five massive clubs, you know, <laughs> like, you know, 10,000 people, five, 10,000 people, you know, so, so it's kind of like this, this funny thing, but I, I found the summer to be really fantastic. You know, it's the first time in all the years I've been, you know, I've been a resident at DC 10 for 10 years or 12 years, considering the two years it's been closed. Yeah, it's like the first year that I was able to do all the stuff that all my friends got to do all the time, like go to beaches and it'd be like a kind Take of a boat ride. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hang out at the beach with my kid. You know, it was like this really um, idyllic kind of view of, of the island that I, I had always missed due to traveling. So it was kind of refreshing to be like almost like a tourist in my home, <laughs> you know, and like do all this stuff. I'm like, wow, all these people are like, you've never been here. And I'm like, no, this is great. <laughs> you know? So uh, that was that was that was a lot of fun. But yeah, it's again, it's just like taking time to readjust and look at life from a different perspective and lens. I think both from the pandemic and from the fact of being a, a new parent, you know, parenting is a bit funny thing. Everyone's like, your life changes so much and it doesn't really, just your perspective changes on a lot of things and your drive and motivations for things change. And I think that um, can be a real drive for some people and it can be for some people um, something that kind of knocks them out. It's a real pivot moment, very yeah. much like the pandemic, you know, either you pivot, pivot and strive and, you know, really reanalyze and kind of create the best out of the situation or you kind of go into like a weird kind of spiral and, you know, kind of like can't deal with it. So, yeah. Do you remember the first time you stranded on, on the island, on Ibiza? The first time I landed in Ibiza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I uh, became the resident at DC-10. Uh, the first time I ever that was went. the first time. Yeah, I was, I was playing at the I was playing at the club. Uh, they had shut down for a year, 
and they had um, reopened. I had, they had came and like scouted me, I guess. And I was kind of like a Berlin guy. I was, had a residency here at Club Division Air and it was like, me and my friends were all living in Friedrichshain, um, at Frankfurt Halle, actually. <laughs> and, uh, and then we were all, like, everyone back then in Ibiza, uh, Berlin was really anti-Ibiza and all, but no, we don't. So do mainstream, yeah, so yeah, yeah, commercial. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just awesome <laughs> and hot. And um, yeah, they they had the club bed shut down and before Dice and Luciano and these guys were the residents and they had moved on to do other things. And then they had scouted Jamie and I and they're like, hey, would you like to be the new resident at our club? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. You Talking know? about Jamie Jones. Then. Yeah, Jamie Jones. Yeah. yeah. And um and yeah, I was like, yeah, cool. And I was like, it's another club. And everyone was like, oh, so crazy you're going to be at. And I was like, oh, it's a club. And I think that kind of helped me also with within playing there because I never had an idealization of, of, Ibiza. of Ibiza or what I should play or how I should be or whatever. I just came with the same attitude of being a Detroit kind of Berlin DJ. And, you know, I just moved from Detroit and now I've been in Berlin and just took that kind of ethos and that kind of you know, energy with me to Ibiza and kind of that party attitude when I was a kind of young radical and, uh, <laughs> and it, you know, it really kind of formed my career and then I became one of those commercial Ibiza DJs, I guess, no, but still playing the same underground music. So, yeah. So when you're getting back to Frankfurt Allee nowadays, uh, what they still say is Seth Trucks are really went commercial then. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what people say. I, I play great music. So, and you know, I'm one of the only few DJs who, you know, plays some you know very big events and also plays still plays robert johnson and time warp and all you know, sun waves you know club visionaire all these things still so it's you know it's one foot in in the river and the other foot in the coal so i guess in the in the lava or the fire but uh time warp is a great example because there are two worlds uh matching in one night or like let's say on one weekend because i remember i've been there Uh, sometimes, and I think we also met, but uh, like Time Warp, you meet yeah, you can, hundreds warp. of people. <laughs> time Warp is a, it, it literally a Time Warp. You know? Yeah, also feels like a big class trip. Must yeah. Say. yeah. And uh, there's you have this huge, crazy indoor festival with thousands of people, and then you enter the after party in the secret oh, the little Zimmer club. The Zimmer is the it's, best. <laughs> it's funny, there's like to go from 25,000 people to 500 people. <laughs> like there's a maximum. Maximum. Like, really, like, maximum. really like 200 people in there. Really, it's like it's a staff party. It's funny to go like there's no after parties for the whole festival except for that, and yeah, and then I mean those have been some of the most amazing times in that that little space. You know, but it's remember, like the real rave Olympics time yeah. warp. You know, uh, I remember one time when I entered then uh, the after party and you were playing like basically for 40 people because was like the beginning or the let's say transition time yeah. from the festival uh, area to the, the club, mm -hmm. and you were playing Italo disco and was really. <laughs> Let's say it was really nice because it really <laughs> softened you down from yeah. the hard techno you've been. That's the whole thing, you know. To. I think a DJ's job is to play whatever fits the environment and the time, you know. And if you're limited by playing just one sound or, you know, kind of classify yourself in one kind of category, I don't think you're able to play as many scenarios, which is something in my career that's been a bit more open is the fact that I play so much music. I'm, I'm a collector at the end of the day. I mean, I collect so many things. It's funny. There's recently this podcast with Jeff Mills and Tigo, which is really incredible. If anyone hasn't heard it, uh, Last Night on Earth or whatever. Last Party on Earth. I think Last Party on yeah, Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jeff Mills one is incredible. But he goes into this whole thing about collecting, you know? And I think any real 
Um, most DJs or the art of DJ is really the art of collecting, you know, and he kind of touches on that. And that's something I firmly believe, you know, I mean, my whole life I've collected things. When I was a kid, I collected rocks, I collected baseball cards, I collected everything. And it just at some point nice. morphed into records yeah. and art and other weird like trinkets and like, weird stuff. I, I collect all over the world. I just buy weird things. And it's kind of like a weird obsession that many people have. But when you're a real collector of music, like I have 10,000 records at my house, it's kind of like collecting art artifacts. Facts, you know, yeah. you know like this little, you know, I buy things that like are so random and people like, you know, it's always funny when I go to rush hour and all these other places, they're like, do you, this, you know, they're like, I, you know, always come out with these huge boxes of records with so much different music and they know me for that. So they always pull me all this different stuff. But if it's a good sound, it's something that I kind of have to have in this weird kind of tick in my mind. I'm like, Ooh, that's so peculiar. That's cool. Or that can fit this moment or that moment. You know, I always said like a great DJ can either play a funeral or a bar mitzvah or a rave, you know, it's like whatever moment in time there's a, um, there's a perfect song for that moment, you know, whether it's lounging in your house, a moment of sadness, a moment of happiness, there's always a perfect sound or song for every moment in time. And if you're a DJ, that's your job is to find those moments. Sounds like you had a lot of scenarios in your head and you already experienced a lot of scenarios. <laughs> I've, like I've experienced a lot of lives, a lot of, a lot of tragedy, a lot of hope and happiness, many things, you know, and You know, I often don't listen to music when I travel or do anything. But, you know, I think for many emotions, I've always found music to be the conveyor of emotion. Because I find myself to be like, I'm not so openly emotional, you know, in some ways quite closed. But I've always found through music, it can express the emotions that I can't really find myself or the words or the feelings for. And then I find those feelings in different songs. And, you know, that's always been like a, um, a way for me to express myself. Sounds very, very decent, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Or like limiting. You know? yeah. No, yeah. but I, I think when you, uh, or you said it initially that you don't want to limit yourself, uh, yourself to a specific sound and then play it all over again. Uh, and yeah, you don't, you don't give a shit about the environment. I think then you become more and more stiff brand. Yeah. that you can't escape from at I mean, the end. Yeah, that, and I mean, it's good and bad, you know, because like in some ways people like to, you know, what it says on the tin, right? You know, it's like, all right, I'm going for Club Mate because I know what it is, right? And I guess when you come to see me, you're like, oh, well, let's see what he plays tonight, you know, yeah. which is kind of good and bad for my career, you know? Like CJs who just play one thing, you know, if you play hard techno, they're like, oh, you know, because people like to identify themselves by something right and they're like okay i believe in this i'm into this and i'm only into this that's cool you know but like you know if some nights you're like oh we're gonna go hear seth play and i'm playing like something that you're not expecting that some people are disappointed where other people i've had a lot of fans over the years who are like they they really enjoy that because they're like but also i'm kind of like ricardo in that sense where you know if It, it depends on the night, you know, it could be like the yeah. best night ever or it could be kind of like, you're like, oh, it's okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> But other times it's like, whoa, it was fucking magic, you know, but it depends on the mood and the people. There's so many different things to really create that significant moment. You know, I think I remember the last time I did Panorama Bar right before the pandemic closed, we closed before the downstairs closed and played like 18 hours and it was like crazy. It was a crazy, crazy experience. 
And, um, but all the, there's so many different factors have to go into, to really creating that, that moment, you know? And I think that's artistry, you know, if you play two hours and you play the same set every weekend yeah. and you know, you're like a pop artist, it's like going to a concert and you hear the same song. It's a show then. It's a show. You know, yeah. People can count on hearing certain songs and that's cool, you know? But I, I think the artistry within DJing is to read moments and, you know, and play, off of the situations that are in front of you, you know, and trying to read that situation right and get that kind of flaw, flawless kind of synchronicity and flow within the fans and the and you know try to get that. Speak, speaking speaking well to synchronize with, with the audience. I mean, over the last two years, there were lots of stuff going on in uh, virtual reality on the internet yeah. and not in real life. As yeah. the pandemic didn't allow any any real parties where you can really connect. Yeah, what do you think about the involvement that everything turned into basically live stream? Do you enjoy playing live streams, for example? I, I don't really, I'm not so into playing live streams. I did, I did a few, you know, for friends and other people who asked me. I mean, I think the real thing with electronic music and as clubs and things are, you know, parties are reopening, it's the connectivity of within people, you know, and you can't really do that the same way in a virtual space, you know. I love, you know, bodies next to each other, sweating and randomness in the toilet. And <laughs> like, you know, that that experience is is really hard to recreate. It's funny. I'm good friends with the people from Rockstar Games and Grand Theft Auto and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was about to, to yeah. build the bridge to yeah, I know. the collaboration. It's like, no, we're like, we're, we're, we're friends and like, whatever. And like, they come to Ibiza quite a lot. And I remember they were in Ibiza and they had like a whole team there and they were trying to figure out how do we put this into energy into a game, you know? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> we're like talking about it. And I'm like, well, it's, that's what makes clubbing so incredible and unique in the sense that it is a situation that you can only really experience in real life. And, I were talking earlier about the old club days here in Berlin. You know, I first came in 2004 and, you know, I was German and it was more raw. Or like when I was going to raves back when I was a kid in Detroit and it was like fucking raw and dangerous. And like, there's like, yeah. there's a certain energy that you like, you're like, fuck, I could die tonight. I'm, you know, it's like a whole thing, you know, that makes you know, it more spicy. I'd yeah, say. that spiciness, you know, you can't really put that in a video game, you know, the fear of like, I could get stabbed, but that's going to this rave, you know, and you're like, you know, running up some like back alley and the police are breaking in, you know, it's like a real visceral experience where um, in a game, it's incredible that you could experience the music and have some kind of joy in your house and even kind of speak with people and kind of have some type of communal interaction, you know, as this kind of techno net, the advent thing. I think he's done really well with that. And there's a few other of these techno club things that they, they have done that I think people are kind of like into and they go in and have the avatar. But uh, I mean, until I think we get into a real virtual reality experience, you know, maybe like 20, 30 years, almost in a sense like a black mirror where you can really, I mean, who's to say that we're not living in an already augmented virtual experience? I mean, I'm, I'm, oh, that's a, Steve. Yeah, I'm, I'm a simulation theory guy. So like this whole experience that we call life could already be a semi-augmented experience, somewhat like the Matrix, right? So if that is a thing, and if let's say we get to the synchronicity point where, you know, there is no 
a bridge or kind of difference between the augmented reality and the reality that we live possibly with glasses or other things, then I think that connectivity or those experiences could be easier felt. But in the current state of technology and where we are in the sense of living in an augmented world, I think it's still, there's still a long way to go to kind of be able to feel that real connection between a digital space and a, and a real yeah. experience. What was the initial reason then for you and also other artists and uh, basically the whole Circo Loco crew that uh, you're also part of kind of as a resident for, for a decade, more than a decade now. What was the reason then to collaborate with Rockstar and to basically have a joint venture now with Grand Theft well, Auto? Or the, owner, the owner of Rockstar, Sam, he's a real big fan of clubbing. He likes to go to clubs. He loves going to Circo Loco. It's like his favorite place and the crew, they, they're there almost every Monday. You know, he comes and he comes for a couple months in the summer and he just, he, he loves the experience. It's a time where he goes everywhere, you know, he's been into music and the, I mean, Grand Theft Auto's house had this great lineage of, of music, I think from the very beginning, you know, the, the radios and everything, yeah. it's always been really cool music. And, um, he, he loves clubbing, you know, he, he, he loves it <laughs> and he's out. He loves the experience. He loves the energy. He loves the randomness of everything. So I think just there was a natural kind of evolution between the relationship of him and, and Antonio, who runs Circa Local in the club. Yeah, and through, through their kind of relationship, they started the joint venture with the record label. Uh, Butch and I do some A&R work and some other stuff and kind of some consultancy and like help out with some things. And um, yeah, it just became this, this thing, you know, and hopefully um, there's some new music coming that's really cool as well. And uh, yeah, it was just like, I think that's a natural evolution. I mean, you've also contributed uh, a single in May. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let me pronounce it uh, right. Lumartes? Lumartes, yeah. Lumartes. So Lumartes is really fun. I got like, a tattoo of it on my arm. So Lumartes is kind of like this gang I'm in. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Who's in there? Well, it's, 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 it's a big gang. But um, when I first started coming to Ibiza, I was like, kind of, whatever, some years ago. I was like hanging out and I was like having an okay time, but I really like, well, things were like, you know, villa parties and other stuff. And I was like, this is all right, but I'm like more of a, like a real raver. Right. And, uh, then I had met some kids who this guy, Alexis, actually, he took me, uh, we were at cocoon and I was like hanging out and I was like, this is fun. But like, I was still looking for my rave crew. Right. And yeah. he was like, yo, I want to show you something. And there was a group of people who had been going every Monday to DC 10 and Circle Oak and Cocoon. And then they'd have this after party. And there's a group of about 40, 50 people. And they called themselves Lumartes. Lumartes is Lunes and Martes, which is Monday and Tuesday mixed together. And they're like, that's where the magic happens. The mix of the days, right? <laughs> yeah. And every day they would meet the same spot after DC 10 and the Cocoon dance floor. And then from there had this after party. And then after I met this whole Spanish crew of tattoo artists, painters, and all the people who actually worked on the island. There was like all the workers, right? Who ran well, the also creative people. Yeah, there's all the creative yeah. people and the workers. And the people were like, this is really fun. The fun, like they were really active and they do all this like kind of performance stuff. And like, they were just really funny. And once I met them, then my whole experience on the island changed. And it became this kind of more local, like free old Ibiza thing. And then... Um, when making this thing, this song for the compilation, actually my uh, roommate or my old tour manager, Hector, he was living with me. I actually, because I was out of Europe the whole pandemic and 
I gave him my house, right? I was like, I was like, look, here's, you know, you can stay at my house for free the whole time. And he, he lived there for the whole, the whole time that there was a lockdown and everything. And I, I was away. But at the beginning of the lockdown, we were kind of together and I was working on this song and I was like, Hector, come in here and like, kind of like talk about, you know, what is this kind of ethos? And like the whole song in Spanish kind of goes on about liberty and, you know, respect and all this other things and, you know, no corruption and like, you know, the, the principles of, of that crew. And that was like the kind of basis of, of reading the song. And also the start of me making so much new music. I have so much music coming. I mean, I think I made like 30, 40 tracks or something like that. Oh, crazy. And, uh, yeah. So there's an album coming. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, I make a lot of stuff that doesn't come out. We've got to have a new album coming from Lost Souls of Saturn. That's really interesting. We did this augmented reality comic that's like the synesthesia-based comic that the soundtrack of the album in each of the panels it kind of goes through and it's like the kind of creation story of the kind of alien story that we had from the first album that was about this cube of Saturn, you know, uh, this dark cube that kind of creates the holographic universe that we live in. And we had that, the, inst the installation in the Saatchi gallery and yeah. did all that other stuff. And uh, the comic kind of, kind of continues that. So it's cool. We have like some collaborations with Proto Martyr. It's like this, uh, it was like one of my favorite um, kind of punk bands. Yeah, um, I know them. Yeah, yeah. So we got <laughs> Joe from Proto Martyr and the guitarist actually um, to, to play on the album. <laughs> and then we have um, my old friend Addy from Footprints on there and some other really cool collabs as well. And it's just like really out there, fucking like super out there music. <laughs> and uh, then I just did a bunch of stuff. I did a collaboration with Diplo actually um, and Desire, you know, the, the girl. And uh, from Italians do it better. And then just did a bunch of remixes and bros and I did some more tracks and I just did a bunch of stuff, you know, kind of field testing everything and seeing what, what I, what I like enough to put out. I've always made music, but I, you know, for me to put out something, it has to really, I have to really work on it. Not really work time. on it. I just have to really, oh, everything I do, takes me about a day or two. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, very niche too. I'm fast. You know, and yeah. I, don't, I don't think, I think once you start micro editing stuff as you lose a lot of the flow. Yeah. But I also believe firmly in kind of like less is more and only put out stuff that you, that's like timeless. Right. And if it's not timeless, if it's like a cool, whatever, play it in clubs or whatever, give it to your friends, but it doesn't need to come out on record, you know? If something's really good, then I'm like, okay, this is this is good to put out. As you just said, uh, timeless. I had in mind because uh, I think it's also your voice from the track "Time." Yeah. Tom <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We did that one together. Yeah, yeah. I had. That was a sub band. Had your was voice. Sub -band. We made that one. I together. was sub -band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We made that here in Berlin, actually. Besides all you've done uh, in the studio that you've been talking about, uh, you've been also launching a new. Let's say dance TV, dream, dream access dream TV. TV. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's cool. I mean, I haven't done so much programming myself, like uh, my own programs, because I've been kind of busy with the baby. It's But maybe that's uh, where we can circle back to the very beginning of our conversation, where you told me that uh, you went uh, to like radio class. Yeah, yeah, no programming. I, and yeah, no, the whole talking. thing. The whole thing is about programming. I mean, uh, it's really a collaboration with uh, my longtime collaborator and friend Aaron Kulik. Dream Access TV is a kind of ode to public access television. Public access television was this um, idea in the 80s and 90s, even the 70s, where in America they had this, uh, like a local television channel where anyone could have a TV show, right? Yeah. 
And Twitch had come to us about doing a, a programming and like, and I was like, oh, like I don't want to DJ on Twitch. That's fucking lame. Right. So then I came As up it with, would be another live stream. Though. Yeah. Another yeah. live stream that I have to do every week. Right. And I was like, I'll stop. <laughs> but I, no, so I, I didn't want to do that. And then I came up with this idea. I was like, wow, it'd be incredible to make this like ultimate come down TV, you know, something that's like not too in your face. That's random enough, kind of like, um, Adult Swim, but like a bit more random, a bit more some cooking, some weirdness, all this stuff. And Aaron, who's like um, really the visual embodiment of my mind, uh, Aaron Kulik visual, visuals. He's he's always done the visuals for my work. Did the film for Lost of the Saturn. Incredible artist based here in Berlin. But also guy from college. We've known each other since college um, from Detroit. Um, no, yeah, we were like really, yeah. really, really old friends. <laughs> um, so I went to Aaron. We came up with the whole idea. And then I came up with, I went to all these people, came up with the programming, different shows. And then Aaron's kind of just turned it into this really <laughs> weirdo show. But the uh, the long term vision, because it's like a six month project, is once we collect all this footage and do all this stuff, is turning it into an art project. Where it's going to be like this constantly running weird television that's going to yeah. be on the internet. So at any point in time, you can kind of tune in like on the website and just watch some really something really weird which i think <laughs> at some point everyone needs in their life you know but that's the character Seth Troxler again yeah no that's like oh is that's the, the real Seth Troxler the Seth real Seth Troxler I'm okay. I'm a strange art person right i'm really even all these kind of funny videos i had ever done like the naked video or the bats or all these things they're all kind of tied to different periods or moments and the bats obviously is from from uh, an interview from 2010 yeah 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 but so. that that thing in the miami thing that's from fear and loathing las vegas it's caricature the yeah. naked thing was was <laughs> off this thing this guy stefan stegmeister who's this austrian viennese designer big graphic designer from the 90s he did this campaign where he got naked and uh launched his new firm so all these things are like everything i've ever done if you were like really pay attention has these small little details of different things that you can reference them to like ev almost every single thing that i do has has kind of some small art history referential point you know and that's the thing where it seems very random or kind of wild or whatever yeah. but actually it's like kind of random in the sense of like i'm not like really putting it together I'm like oh we have to do this but also it's kind of like because i read a lot and there's so many different points that I, i find really interesting it's a rehashing and reinvention of a lot of different kind of memorable points that have happened in time you know and people who I guess aren't, I don't say not as cultured, but aren't as geeky and kind of weird. Don't get the points. But if you're like, especially Lost Souls of Saturn, every single thing has a reference point. It's like, it's a, it's a deep rabbit hole you can get in. We even put out this book. I should have brought you guys some copies that has like, it's all in like Morris code. And like, there's, it's like, you have to decode all it. It's like, it's pretty intense, actually. Maybe there's a Reddit thread where somebody uh, or a group is decoding. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the last thing we put out there, it's starting... Like I'm really into the KLF as well, and the KLF, you know, everything is about the Luminous trilogy, and it's all, all that. And with Lost Souls of Saturn, everything we've ever done has a documented um, refer reference number, like every okay. performance, every like it's crazy. It's like it's all in the book. I'll, I'll send. I have some here in Berlin. I'll send some over to yeah, you guys. Yeah, great. It's funny. It's also yeah. in augmented reality. The book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But it's like you want to go down the rabbit hole of what Seth Troxler is. Then um, <laughs> you might find yourself a bit more freaked out than just seeing me kind of like dance around and be a funny guy, or maybe more open afterwards. Yeah, yeah, you're like, wow, this is, this is far out. Yeah. 
you said there are some uh, weird stuff, but uh, you also mentioned some cooking going on in the yeah. TV. Yeah, there's the, uh, the show called Shit Mandy Cooks. Cooks. Yeah, Mandy, Mandy Indigo, great DJ and a friend of mine uh, from Thailand. She's got a cooking show on there. I was supposed to be doing kind of some cooking show stuff, but again, I had a baby and I was just like, babies are so much work, people. <laughs> like, yeah. It's the best experience, but the most dread. I haven't slept. Actually, that's a lie because I sleep on the weekends when I go to DJ, but when I'm at home, I haven't slept more than like three, four hours at a time in four months. It's it's incredible, but it's, you know, it's a it's tiring. So when you try to balance that and do your job and other things, it's it's a really crazy thing. Like I'm right now, I have to actually have to go at some, like a half hour and my wife has to sing and we're like, she's an opera singer at the commercial opera here and her balancing going back to the opera and me being a DJ and having a baby is like a real, yeah, it's a, it's a real juggling act. But also sounds like a great combination of two worlds. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so random that we even fusion. met actually. We yeah. met in the beginning of the pandemic and she hadn't been to a club in 15 years. Oh wow. <laughs> and um, her friend, this girl, Carla Durich, she was DJing at Nordstern And they had been in hanging Basel. out in Basel, exactly. Yeah. And they had been hanging out all summer. And I hadn't been to a club because it's the first time there's a club open in, in the pandemic or kind of starting of the pandemic. And I was, my friends were like, I'll come down. And I never really come down more than an hour early. It's kind of funny when I go to DJ, I'm like always sober. I show up an hour early and then I go home and kind of like whatever. As my friends are there, then we go out and party. But that's like, I think the tale of everyone when you see your friends, yeah. it gets a little wild. But uh, my friends were at the, my friends owned the club and they're like, come down early. So I was like, all right, I'll come down. It's a sunny day. We're having some drinks. And I saw this woman across the room and, and now we're married and have a kid. And it was her only, the only time she would have been in a club ever. And that small moment of fate is kind of led to my, my life now. It's, it's meant to really, be, I'd say. Yeah, it's really meant to be. It's crazy. Nice. beautiful sun yeah it's crazy cool yeah circling back to the food topic as you said you initially planned to also cook yeah but it's i not had like a restaurant yeah, for a long I time this. i was three time i was the three-time champion at the ad dj cookout i was the best dj cook me and <laughs> Legend, Kolsch, legendary yeah, Kolsch and i Kolsch and i were both three-time champions and we we're supposed to have a duel and he declined so I guess that makes me the winner. <laughs> no, no, so um, yeah, that's like a that's like a whole thing. I'm really into food. I I, I love to eat. I, I just made an actually incredible meal before I came here for my wife. So oh, what did you do? I did this really nice like chicken. Uh, there's a great butcher by me in Prenzlauerberg on uh, Greifswald Straße, a Fuhrland or something like that. I got this like really organic chicken and then did it with like I got these. Uh, there's this place here called uh, Fisher Paradise. Frische Paradies. Frische Paradies. Yeah, yeah. wow. Well, so I went there and got some lemons and some other stuff. These Amafi Coast lemons and I had that with the chicken. Then made this like white wine lemon sauce. I was like, oh, so tasty. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like oh. <laughs> Berlin, actually, the food's gotten a lot better since I lived here in like the early 2000s to now. Um, maybe also your skills uh, got better. My skills are cooking, but also the restaurant scene here is like, is really nice. What's your favorite dish of all time? My favorite dish of all time. That's hard to say. I'm a sauce guy. Uh, anything that's saucy kind of like draws me in. I mean, it depends. I mean, one thing about DJing is I've had the incredible opportunity to be able to experience and travel around the world for, you know, 15 years. So have incredible uh, DJ dinners everywhere. Yeah, DJ dinner. Also, I, I'm like really go out on my own and kind of explore. I mean, I'm really... Try to, I try to go to, I'm like, can you take me somewhere local, you know, and try to eat the most 
local food as possible. And uh, that's something that like, it's incredible because it kind of shows you, I mean, food and music are these two things in life that really are the commonalities of every culture, you know? People always look at all these differences that we have as people and whatever, but the more you travel, the more you see that humans are basically exactly the same. And the one thing that, that we all have in common is we love to have food with our friends from Saudi Arabia yeah. to, to any China to, you know, Timbuktu or whatever. The core basis, I think, of, of a humanity is to eat right we need to eat to, to survive, gather around to gather to eat yeah. to have some you know from a tribe in the amazon to anywhere that's that's what we do as people and once you kind of see that and experience that with different people all around the world you see how kind of ununique everyone is you know yeah. and kind of similar everyone is and also i think with dance floors you have the same experience and seeing that you know no matter what country i'm in or you know, no matter what their political or ideological views are you know you put out a, a fucking kicking song people are happy to dance yeah. you know <laughs> and you know hug their friends and be in this kind of incredible moment and i think that's that's something incredibly special and it's it's funny because so many djs are really into food and and music it kind of goes hand in hand yeah that was that's, that's, that, it, that's what know? i wanted to to ask if if that's the reason why so many djs are into cooking i mean richie got his uh richie Harden got his sake, sake bar dub fire i think dub is, fire is really into food he, i saw he, he's really into baking bread at the moment that's his thing really? yeah he got really into baking bread over the pandemic he's like, he's like yo check out this new loaf i have and like, he's like traveling around with like bread cultures that's like i think a lot of it like you said at techno dinners at some point you get really into it but not every dj you know some djs don't go out to dinner at all or eat like you know steaks well done <laughs> you know and it's like a bit of a funny one you know but i think for people who are again like addicted to culture you know and collecting and That's the one thing that I found through music that is the most um, the most rewarding from from this job and this life is I'm a culture addict. At the end of the day, I'm addicted to seeing art and people and experiencing things and how people live and you know all these things. During the pandemic, being in one place was kind of I actually got stuck in America, which is kind of funny. Actually, it was really interesting because I'd been away from America for so long yeah, and kind of Europeanized myself and then being back in my own country and having to reconnect with, reconnect with culture, my own yeah. culture was like really far out. I was like, well, this fuck it. it's fucking crazy here. It's like Black Lives Matter. I was like, what the fuck happened yeah. in America? So I don't feel allowed to cut. Oh, it's a podcast. I can say whatever I want. But, um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, no, it was like this whole moment of kind of re-seeing that culture and, you know, in LA, the food truck scene and this crazy Mexican and immigrant culture, you know, you could get anything in America, you can eat any food that you want is like so incredible. I mean, I'm always looking for a good Mexican here. I don't know if you guys know any, any place like a real fucking taco. Oh my God, I would kill for a taco. Yeah. They opened up a new one uh, on Schönhaus Alley. Yeah. They're always opening a new the one, area. but they're never like Stay there. They're not stay there or that like there is one by Club Division Air on uh I forgot the name of the street. Uh when you kinda go towards um Kreuzberg from Little uh, little shout out to the uh food community <laughs> yeah. in Berlin. Yeah, yeah, the rising food community. Oh man, I had this one horrible taco here though. It was fucking always people were like, This taco place is great and I had a El Pastor, if anyone knows it's like this marinated pork with like a pineapple and 
then they gave me like ground beef. I was like, what the fuck? Like this chunky, I don't know. Sorry. little <laughs> tangent there that doesn't really need to be in this podcast, but it will leave it to go. Um, and, uh, but yeah, food and traveling and culture. I think also the, the opportunity to um, connect directly with somebody local yeah. is really great. Yeah, and that also brings you like, As you said, the joy to uh, really, yeah. really enjoy and really It discover the culture. It home, yeah. you know, and kind of like, I mean, I think so much we forget that we're human, right? And everyone looks to identify themselves as one thing or another, especially now identity politics and, you know, classification is so big. I'm this, I'm that, you know, where when you travel on the world and kind of like do what I, I do you know I think when you're younger you want to identify yourself as something you know and I think when you're older it's more about principles and values rather than self-identification you know when I was younger and even pre-baby I had all these like righteous ideas of you know I'm right you're wrong type yeah. of situation or you know this politically is right and how can and now I got a kid and other things and my whole perspective on that has changed you know even within right now the whole kind of culture wars that we're experiencing within the pandemic you know and mask anti-mask I mean I'm a very pro-blax very pro-mask person you know but I also have some friends who who are not you know And at some point I realized that, you know, no matter what their choices are, and even though I may not agree with them, that does not make them bad or, you know, and I'm saying wrong within their kind of own value and choice, you know? And I think within a free society, everyone should be able to have their choice. Now, I do think that not getting a vax is harmful for the rest of society, you know? But that is my opinion, you know? Yeah. And that is an opinion that I hold true. As long as if you're not putting other people in danger, you can have your own opinion. I had a friend who just died from COVID for not getting a vax, and it's very sad. And we tried to get him to get vaccinated, and he didn't. And, you know, his son lost a father. And that's very sad, but that was also their choice, you know, due to yeah. their politics and their religion and some other things, you know, that it led them in that decision. And, you know, that's something that, like, I think, again, going back to the the more you kind of view culture the, and the older you get, the less I, I feel now that, like, why does your opinion matter? <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's that's a thing, you know. Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one, right? <laughs> and, like, you know, at some point, thinking your asshole is nicer than someone else's, they're all brown, right, <laughs> at some point. So, unless you bleach it, you know. So, I mean, obviously, like, I'm very against hate speech and, you know, any type of discrimination towards any group. or you know, those Those opinions, I think, are... Uh, something that as a society, you know, we we should not allow, you know, or whatever we should, you know, I'm very much anti-fascist in, in, in many ways and I will forever fight for that opinion, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, but I think we've seen the consequences of fascism, you know, so especially that, in Germany, in Germany yeah. yeah, yeah, you can see it on the wall, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but like those, there's some things worth fighting for, but, and then there's other things, especially in America and, and other kind of parts of the world where, So people need to give a few fucks less. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, speaking about your uh, about America and about getting more into, let's say, work for the community or for the social community, mm. 
in a recent interview with B-Portal, you've been uh, talking about your work with Dr. Cornel West. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe can you like give us some no, insights we, about what, what you're working on with him? Well, well so Dr. Cornel West has launched uh, actually a house record label with a, a friend of mine, this guy, uh, Brandon Lucas, new uh, producer, kind of trying to promote the idea of, of uh, black culture through house music. I mean, at some point historically, and I mean, at some point, house and techno music is kind of was a minority black and latino gay culture or kind of black culture from detroit and chicago you know in yeah. new york that's that's how it happened <laughs> you know, that, that is, I, I, I had uh, honey dijon as a guest on the yeah, podcast honey, honey will let you know talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> honey honey is not we afraid talk, to tell you about to tell you the truth that no, is no. Where, that's my girl and you know big shout out to honey out there but she will let a motherfucker know <laughs> you know no she did it was she did. <laughs> i mean i can definitely recommend listening to, yeah, I to, will the, do. to I the will episode do. it was really nice it was a lesson for me as i, yeah. I uh, learned a lot and i think with the kind of normalization or the um some people can say gentrification of dance music but let's say the popularization i think is a is a better turn of of that you know people had forgotten in many ways uh of the history of, of the dance roots. music roots you yeah. know and i mean it's kind of funny you know you look at um what's that daft punk song that has names all the legends and stuff they're all people from detroit and chicago or new york right or you know you look at paul johnson who tragically passed this year you know who i think has the craziest discography in all of house music ever you know for the fact that he had to be touring and wasn't as celebrated as he was yeah and so many other black artists all fall under that kind of same situation and you know and there's a lot of new great artists great or whatever but like when the identity of let's say i'm from detroit the identity of techno has become this thing that's very detached from let's say an original notion of techno and the futurism and the soul of that music, you know, or even the knowledge that black people, even within the black community were behind a lot of this music um, is something that like deserves to be spoken about and also to be recognized. You know, I remember um, some years ago, uh, the Martinez brothers and I had started this record label called Tuskegee, right? Which was about kind of, we, at one point we were around, we were really good friends or whatever, and we were looking around our peers and we we're like, wow, there's not so many of us, you know, yeah. like, it, it, like they're from New York, I'm from Detroit, you know, and there like was kind of like a few of us, you know, but like from a, a scene that at one point was like predominantly you know, black and Hispanic or like whatever to being like a handful of people. We're like, oh, let's start a label to be kind of like, yeah, just focus on and try to put out music from pe from minorities. And then when the like label is coming out, I know of some record shops here where like, we won't take your records. It's racist to only focus on putting out music from minorities. And we're like, how is that racist? <laughs> I mean, like, the other way around was yeah, yeah, still there like, the whole time. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, wait, just because yeah. like, I'm like, you know, just because we're trying to put out music from minorities, how is that reverse racism? No, it's just like, and now, I mean, I think the the climate has changed a lot. And, you know, that there's a lot of other people try, who are doing that. And I'm actually, we had stopped with the label for a little bit for the pandemic. And now we're bringing it back. But it's funny how, like, at some point, if as a minority, if you even mention kind of racism or, you know, like it's not even racism, like even a, a lack of perspective with some things and people get so uptight, you know, and it's like, look, I mean, my, I, my wife is a, 
is white from Switzerland. You know, it's like I'm not that that guy. But also at the same time, I'm, you know, very aware of my kind of both ethnic history and the musical history. And that's something that I, I want to celebrate, you know, and it shouldn't be wrong to want to celebrate one's history or celebrate the history of dance music. And it's not trying to exclude people. It's just trying to bring some kind of focus in on what that idea may be. And I think within any um, let's say any concept that you have, let's say if you launch a record label for women or for LTGBQ plus, I, I don't know, I'm sorry, plus sign party hat. I don't know what the, what the whole thing is. If you do something with the intention of one community to celebrate that, it should be, it should be okay and it should be accepted and celebrated, you know? And that's something that I think is so unique within electronic music culture with the supposedality that we're supposed to be very progressive in yeah. so many ways and in a very open culture and also within independent music labels and ideas, we have the space and ability to create really small identity driven ideas. You know what I'm saying? That are, again, I, I believe that the dance floor should be open for everyone, you know, but the concept within why you're creating like electronic beats has a concept behind it or any concept should be viewed as equal or like as open and possible, you know, whatever that concept may be, you know? So that's, you know, if you want to have a hard techno, like Aryan concept, I'm not saying, you know, it's like, it's your choice to do that. If that yeah. wants to be your thing, you know, you know, it's not Detroit techno, but, <laughs> but, you know, and I think, I, I think that sometimes within electronic music as liberal as we claim that we are, there are still some things that aren't so open, you know what I'm saying? And so people are so fast to create some type of judgment with things where, again, I think people should be a bit more open because if there is some type of progressive movement that is driving society, then electronic music is the single-handedly most progressive and responsive um, kind of movement of the 20th and 21st century. And that's something that we need to accept and you know really taking our hands to kind of push the notion of what society can become because the futurism of which dance music was based on was uh, for a utopian future you know and i think again with the popularization of dance music and let's say the identities of kind of being more like kind of brand and you know uh, let's say um luxury driven in some ways yeah. we lose some of the identities because uh, when i started going out to raves it was very uncool, right? It was like <laughs> it was all not mainstream. Not it was most freaks not, and geeks, yeah. and like you know, you were not the cool kid in school going to raves, showing up, and you know, fucking you it was, know. It was special interest. Yeah, spe very special interest. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like you know, coming to school in like twenty six inch bottom rave pants and whatever. People were like, "You're a freak," you know, or like "You're gay," or like this or that, you know. And it's like, and I was like, but you're like that was the point of being into that because you were not part of the main. Yeah. You weren't a jock. You weren't like this or that. You're like, I'm, I'm other, you know, that was a very kind of nineties concept to be other, to be grunge, to be outside of, to be, I call it the slacker hero, right? That's, that's the cool thing. <laughs> Me and my friends say that like the slacker hero was such a thing when we were growing up and now it's cool to be, you know, something else. And, you know, a lot of my friends fall in that category and they're 
great people, but that's not something I've always subscribed to. You know, I've always thought that the idea of otherness is like so unique and and intriguing, but also otherness shouldn't come with a barrier to anyone else wanting to enter other, you know, as well as mainstream shouldn't exclude the other. So like that's, that's the whole kind of idea of where the dance floor meets. It's like, you know, there's this famous um, line from one of the world's first tattoo parlors. And uh, it's like where the elite and underworld meet. You know, and the dance floor is very much that same kind of idea, right? You know, on the circle local dance floor, it's like the, the mixture, the mixture of everyone. Yeah. You know, of every, and I think the best dance floors in the world are the mixture of everyone. You know, so well, nobody cares. No about one what cares you, what you're you outside do. of the exactly club. what yeah. you do outside the club. That's where Bergheim and Panorama Bar are so unique. You know, yeah, once you're anonymous, in, you don't you're, you have no. Biography about exactly. the people you you're don't, meeting. No one there. asks you what you do when you yeah, get inside exactly. the club. You know? They're just, they're you're just the, asking what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah, if you're in the dark room, no one's asking you what you do. No. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe what you do other. I don't know. <laughs> that was a bad joke. But um, no, I think it's it's so important that we all look at that kind of idea and and reopen the acceptance within electronic music culture and you know maybe take a step back from identifying ourselves as this and that identify ourselves as human you know that's a great line to end yeah as right we're i think so the, the <laughs> end right now Seth, i think it's perfect time actually perfect <laughs> Seth, I, I actually have to go to much. the opera so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's also the new seth that's the like new taking seth. off to the opera i'm um, going to the opera just casually on a, casually. On a thursday afternoon <laughs> thank you very much thank seth. you it was a lot of fun thank you that was my chat with seth troxler It was really fun to experience the straightforward Seth and the fun Seth. Really looking forward to the music he's been working on over the last months. If you enjoyed this conversation, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or text us your feedback on Instagram. Das war der Telekom Electronic Beats Podcast. Abonniert den Podcast bei Apple, Soundcloud, Spotify oder Deezer. Wir sehen uns im Club. Bis dann.